Reflecting on the water As the sun shuts her eyes Don't know why you'll uncover Watch the tide rolling With the moonlight Everything is silent On this Louisiana night Hey there, you are listening to Missing Magnolias. This is the episode, The Missing Missing, Homeless Women Part 2. If you're just now tuning in, be sure to backtrack and check out Part 1. We are excited to have with us today Stacey Alziebler Perkins from Gathering for Women. Welcome, Stacey. Thank you. It's nice to be here. We are continuing our conversation today discussing The Missing Missing and homeless women. In our last episode, we had Michael Reed with us, who offered a more historical kind of look and we're happy to have someone that has a contemporary book on this topic and has a unique vantage point. It's great that you're able to talk to Michael. He has quite a background in this. It's quite amazing that there is such a phenomenon of homeless women and that they just seem to fall through the cracks all the time. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization and what you do? What resources do you provide for these women? So Gathering for Women Monterey is based on the Monterey Peninsula. We're a day center for homeless and housing insecure women. We provide case management so they can try and get into housing. We provide meals, a hot breakfast and a hot lunch, and then takeaway meals for dinner and weekends. They can take showers here. They can go to our clothes closet and get clothing and personal supplies. Pre-COVID, they could do enrichment programs, which were things like painting, meditation, yoga, things to sort of get their mind off of their, their situation and get them in a better frame of mind to be better able to deal with their problems. We also offer access to healthcare, and we work a lot with our partners in the community to help them get into housing. And we're partners with Community Human Services, which we are running a homeless shelter for single women and families with children. They oversee the shelter itself and do some of the case management. We take care of the meals three times a day, every day of the week. So it's amazing that the women have a place to go, particularly in the COVID times, that they could come and get hand sanitizer and masks and be able to wash their hands and wash their clothes and change their clothes. It was so important to stay open during that time when everything was closed. They couldn't even go to the library or the public bathrooms. It was quite difficult for the homeless population here. I think you mentioned pre-show from the years 2019 to 2020, your organization served over 400 women. That's quite a lot of women to have coming through your facility. I think one of the oldest women that you mentioned pre-show also was 92 years old. That person's now housed. We do have many in the 80s and 70s and 60s. You'd be quite surprised. That's one of the many misconceptions that we have about people experiencing homelessness that we don't expect them to be vulnerable. When I talk to people about this, I think they are really surprised because the reality is, is there are a lot of people living in the United States that just are barely getting by. And when you talk about someone who is older, 50 and above, anything can happen. They could lose their spouse who might be the primary breadwinner. They might have an illness or some sort of accident that causes them to have a problem. Or it could simply be that financial circumstances like on the Monterey Peninsula, housing is just really, really expensive. And so if you're on a limited income, maybe you have a disability, you can't afford the $2,000 a month for a rental apartment. And maybe your family is all gone could be just that one thing that pushes you over the edge. And your experience speaking directly with all of these women who, as you mentioned, come from different backgrounds and experiences, what do they need most from your vantage point? 
they need compassion. They need understanding. I think because of all those misperceptions, they feel forgotten and unwanted and uncared for. We try and treat them with as much dignity as we can and respect because they are human beings, first and foremost, regardless of whatever baggage they may be carrying. Some of them have mental illness. Some of them have addiction. If you can imagine sleeping on the streets, you're probably keeping yourself up at night so that you're not in danger. And so that might involve taking drugs. And then you're not trying to sleep during the day. And so that might involve drugs or alcohol. It's not an easy existence. It's something that most people can't even imagine. We know that in our community, the women try and hide as much as they can. You wouldn't necessarily know most of them are homeless if you saw them on the streets. That statement literally gives me chills. They're hidden. They're scared and they're hiding. I think most of us don't think about women who are experiencing homelessness because we typically see men. And it's not that men aren't experiencing vulnerabilities and risk as well. I just think that because they're in that vulnerable position and they're less apparent to us, we're even less likely as a society to recognize that they're vulnerable people in need of assistance or protection. It's very true. And I think it's a catch-22 because they're hiding for their own protection and yet it's not visible. And so in that sense, it's harder as a society to understand the true depth of the problem. But when you look at the fact that even during the pandemic, we saw over 400 people, but this year alone, we're almost to 200. You can imagine the pandemic and the economic disparities that already existed are starting to show themselves even more. There were a set number of people that were homeless and some chronically homeless. Some of the women we see have been homeless for years. I know of one woman who just recently got housed this past fall, and she was homeless since 2014. She's 74 years old. If you can imagine being 74, having been homeless for that long before she was finally housed, that's a tragedy. I'm reminded of in the work that I do, when I talk about homelessness, it's usually as a risk factor for victimization or offending, more often victimization, especially when we're talking about serial offenders. That's usually when I talk about homelessness or other people who are living on the fringes of society that disappear and no one seems to be looking for them or we just don't hear about this going on. I guess I was just wondering what you've experienced or what you know about typical victimizations for people experiencing homelessness. Are the chronically homeless more likely to be victims of crime or newly homeless or whatever information you might have for us? That's not a subject I really know a whole lot about. What I can say, as I mentioned before, is that they are really vulnerable. And if you can imagine you're carrying everything that you own, either in your car, if you have a car to live in or on your back, and that may include your identification, things that you need to survive, your bank card, your social security card, or whatever it is that you need to access benefits and, and things like that. If that gets stolen, that's your whole life. So if somebody steals your wallet, or I know of another instance where somebody stole their sleeping bag, where do you go? The police aren't going to do anything for you. There's nothing they really can do. It's like a victimless crime. And it sounds like the stakes are really high for them. For me, if I lose my debit card, it's an easy system. I know exactly what to do. But for homeless people, it's just a whole different experience. Very much so. And then you think of physically, you know, the chances of rape or a physical attack are so much greater, particularly when they're older and more frail. It's an easy target. And so to have that kind of extra vulnerability, not even just being homeless, but being a woman and homeless, I can't imagine. Are you able to offer any counseling? But that's not something that we deal with directly. We're really dealing with basic survival food and clothing and warmth. 
but we do provide access to people who are doing things like that. There's a group in town called Interim, and they do really, really good things with mental health services. Um, there are counselors. There's hotlines that they can call. We have connections with Alcoholics Anonymous, if that's an issue, or drugs. Um, we can we can locate that for them so they can access those services. But we are really focused on just survival and just the basics and then trying to get them the resources they need to either access income so they can pay for a roof over their head or access housing that doesn't require that. Do you get the sense that there's a kind of a community within a community? It's actually really fascinating. There are some that do not get along, very strong personalities, as you can imagine, the, the alphas of the group, they can be intense. And then there's those that are clearly very good friends. They exchange clothing, like a barter system kind of thing. If they've got something, they'll give it to someone else for something else. Particularly if you go into the uh, encampments, there's a lot of community there. Quite often there's friendships built. I know of three that actually moved in together. It's pretty common. I, I think it's more common than we would think, particularly because, again, they're vulnerable women. So you really need someone who's going to be on your side and helping you through this process. What has been the role of law enforcement in working with your organization or I guess just what's your experience? We have a really good working relationship with what's called MDOT. It's the Multidisciplinary Outreach Task Force, I believe. They are amazing. They actually have some social workers on that team as well as the police. And so if they go and they find someone, say, for instance, like the woman under the bridge, they find her, they tell her about us. They'll sometimes even bring her to us. And we've helped a lot of women that way. It's been an amazing partnership. We try very hard not to call them, even when there's a difficult guest or a difficult situation, because that can escalate it. But it also it puts a black mark on their record, and that makes it even harder for them to get housed. So we do our best to sort of diffuse that situation as much as we can. The police have really tried their best to come up with better solutions on how to deal with the homeless problem. There's still the aspect that it's a tourist town. And so oftentimes you'll see them moving them off the main streets and particularly early mornings, trying to get them into places where you're not seeing them as much, which is disappointing. But it's the nature of being a, a tourist town. You're not going to welcome a lot of people here if you've got your homeless problem on full display. How do we help them not fall through the cracks in our system? And what can we as individuals do to make sure that they're noticed and attended and treated humanely? There's a couple things. I think advocating for affordable housing is a huge component to it. If you've got nowhere to go and this is where you've lived all your life, you're not going to just uproot and move to Wisconsin because it's cheaper to live. The second thing is more access to mental health. If you didn't have a mental health issue, before you became homeless, you will being homeless. I think it's almost inevitable. Um, if you think about how scared you would be and the paranoia and the, the lack of sleep. And so I think trying to start those conversations at an early age about if you've got a mental issue, go get help. I think we've been so afraid as a society to even talk about that. So I'd say advocating for better access to mental health and making sure that it's not stigmatized as much as it is. As an individual, I would say supporting them in whatever way. You, know, you don't necessarily want to give them money, buy them a meal, or at least smile at them. One of the things that I find so amazing is if you smile at them, it changes their whole day. Thank you for the work that you do. The emotional toll must be so great. Is there anything that you learned from the women or maybe a, one particular story that had some sort of impact on your own life and maybe sticks with you? 
So this isn't quite my story, but it's a story that one of my coworkers tells a lot. And I think it's very telling about what it's like to be a homeless woman. We had a woman who was coming here for quite a while and she finally had access to a house. And when she was allowed to move in, it took her a while before she could even go into the house. So she would sleep out in her car and out in front of the house. And so she finally moved into the house and she was, this, this took a while and she was lying on the floor. So my coworker asked her, why are you doing that? You know, you've got a house, you've got a bed. Why aren't you sleeping in the bed? She said, I'm afraid if I lie in the bed, I'll lose it. And so she eventually did lie in the bed. And then she came back to us and she was talking about being in her house and how she was sort of starting to get used to it. And she didn't really know her neighbors and she didn't know what to do with herself. Because she said, you know, before I used to drive around looking for cheap gas or a place to spend the night that was safe. So my coworker said, well, why don't you put out some plants and then maybe you'll meet your neighbors. And so she did that and she put out the plants and so she was tending to the plants and she met her neighbors and it turned out that her neighbor had a dog and really needed someone to walk the dog. And so then she started walking the dog and they became really good friends. And I think that's just a really cool story. But one of the things that happened shortly after she finally decided it was okay to lie in the bed is she called my coworker and she said, listen to this. And there was this whoosh noise she said, what's that? She said, that's my toilet. <laughs> and I just thought that was incredible that she was able to get that far. And now her life has turned around completely. It's hard for me to talk about it sometimes because it is very difficult. It is. I'm reminded of when I'm teaching in class about certain types of crime theories, we talk about resiliency and the research that's been done on resiliency. And what we see is that like kiddos who have experienced the worst of the worst and grow up and become law-abiding citizens, that they tend to have, amongst other things, a plan or a hope for something in the future. Mm-hmm. But hope is hard to do. I mean, mm-hmm. hope requires such vulnerability and expectation that tomorrow might be better. And that is a difficult thing to accomplish And what we see is our kiddos who end up in the justice system as adults who were abused or neglected when they were little, they tended to not have that hope. They tended to think tomorrow was going to be just as bad. So I could see not wanting to lie in that bed, right? Because then you experience something that you could lose. And that is terrifying. It's very true. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's that hope that things will be different down the road. And that's when things are as bad or worse day after day after day. You're right, it's very difficult to have that hope. So at least what we try and do is instill that possibility that things will be different. And if not, at least today can be better. What can we do as average people who want to make a difference? I would say volunteer if you can. We have a great volunteer program here. A lot of our positions are actually held by volunteers donate to organizations like ours that are doing great work that you know of. You can also donate clothes to many of them or toiletries, things like that. Like I said before, smile at them, make them understand that they're human beings. You'd be so surprised because they don't get that very often. They are, like you said, they're missing or invisible to most people. We'd rather look away than look at them. Is there anything else you might want listeners to take away from this conversation? I've tried to stress that they're human beings, and I think that's probably the key message that I have. You can't imagine their story. This was one woman who was a scientist and had a traumatic brain injury, can't work, so now she's on disability, but that disability doesn't pay enough to have her have housing. 
another woman who lost her family and struggled with some addiction issues, who grew up here all of her life, probably in her 60s. She's embarrassed that she's homeless, so she's not going to tell anyone. And yet she finally is now dealing with her addiction issues. It's people that you wouldn't expect. It's circumstances that change your life in an instant. And I'm afraid it's actually going to get worse before it gets better. So anything that we can do to change the system and the inequities that we have, particularly as women, one of the, the facts that I found out recently was that in September of last year, 80% of the people that went on unemployment were women. And that's easy to understand. It's the women that were upholding the household, they were taking care of their kids, making sure they were studying properly and on their online courses. They're in the hospitality industry, lost their jobs. Women are truly more vulnerable in every sense of the word. Understanding that and understanding that the people that are dealing with homelessness, men included, are just like you and I. And we tend to think differently because it's the story that we're told. And I think that the real story is that the homelessness that you think you see, you don't understand what's gotten them to that point and what's going to take to get out of it. So having compassion as much as you can. Um, just to speak on probably behalf of Michelle as well, thank you so much for sharing these stories. And I really liked in our last episode when Michael had said homeless women are not they, they are us. I think that really resonates with people. And I hope that we can continue to share more stories like these. He's right. He's exactly right. It's not them. It's us. Thank you so much, Stacey. Thank you. Thank you so much.